0: Good morning, everyone. There's a few things that I want to do before I actually launch into my sermon, and one of them is to thank uh, Holly and to thank uh, the staff at Alamo Heights. I know that uh, Alamo Heights has a stable of associate pastors that they can have to preach on Sunday morning, and it's certainly an honor to preach to an empty room. So uh, it's fun uh, being here today and uh, to have that uh, pleasure. It's good to be back uh, in the pulpit. Uh, DS's don't get to preach very often, and so this is a whole lot of fun. My second thing that I wanted to do is just thank you. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for the ways in which you continue to be the church. Even though you may not be physically present in the building, you still are the church in many different ways, and I see that, so thank you. Today is an exciting day. It's the day of Pentecost. It's the birthday of the church. It's a little north of 2,000 years old right now. Before the day of Pentecost, everything was about Jesus. In Jesus' birth, his life, his teachings, his actions, his death, his resurrection, it was all about Jesus. It was all about Jesus speaking about the kingdom of God, living out the kingdom of God, participating in the kingdom of God. It was all about Jesus. And all that the disciples had to do was follow along. Watch, listen, and basically repeat back whatever Jesus said. It's not unlike being a student in school. I found out very quickly in college that the key to good grades was good listening. If I went to the classes and I listened to the professors, I could find out what the professors liked. I could find out the way that they spoke, and I could learn what they enjoyed communicating about. I I found out what they liked to say. And that works really well, I, it got me good grades. When, uh, when test time would come along, I would just basically pair it back with the pr- what pr- the professor said in the way that he liked to hear it. So uh, it got me good grades and uh, it was really good. And it works really well as long as you're in an academic system that dis- disseminates information for you to give back. I stayed in academics as long as I could. After high school, I was in uh, higher education for nine years, but then I graduated from seminary and I was appointed to my first church. So you say, easy. You've been doing this for a long time. Everything should be good, right? Wrong. Information in, put it in your own words, information back out, right. You think that worked? Nope. What I learned is that one person does not represent the entire church. What I learned is one person's idea does not always translate into what is good for all. In other words, I learned that you can't please all of the people all of the time. Instead, I had to take in information from a variety of different sources, then process that information through my own education, knowledge, experience, and my intuition. And then after processing all of this, then I could speak. And what came out was very rarely what was, what was put in. When I went to school, it was all about meeting a professor's needs. It was all about looking, listening, and giving back information today i function very differently than i did at school when jesus was pre- was present with the disciples it was all about jesus and it was pretty easy the disciples just did what jesus did they said what jesus said and if they didn't know what to do they just went to jesus and asked him not hard to do after jesus's death and resurrection it changed but if you remember there was a 40-day period of time where Jesus had not yet ascended. He was resurrected, but he had not yet ascended, over 40 days. And he sort of made cameo appearances every now and then. 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus was there, but he wasn't really there. And then on day 40, on Ascension Day, Jesus ascended. He made his final appearance. He gave his farewell address. And he told the disciples to stay in Jerusalem. And in not too many days, they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus left. He ascended into heaven. As I read on Facebook last week, Jesus began to work from home. He was gone. Jesus was gone. So what did the disciples do? Well, they did what Jesus told them to do. They waited. In Acts chapter 1, we read that the disciples went back to Jerusalem Less, it was a Sabbath's day journey, which was less than a half a mile. And I believe they returned back to the upper room, the place where they had shared their final meal with Jesus. They accomplished one thing in that 10-day period between Ascension Day and Pentecost. And this is why I believe that the disciples were United Methodists. They formed a nominating committee, and they chose a replacement for Judas as one of the 12. That's all they did. They didn't know what to do. Before Jesus, they had Jesus. They always had Jesus. Before, all they had to do was to do what Jesus did, say what Jesus said, and if they didn't know, go to Jesus and ask. Now they had to think. Now they had to take multiple flows of information and assimilate all of that information and then make a decision. Uh, Look at this situation. It's Pentecost. In the Jewish tradition, it was a festival called Shavuot. Shavuot happens seven weeks after Passover, and this is called the Festival of the First Fruits. It also celebrates the giving of the Torah to Moses at, si- at Mount Sinai. Before 70 AD, Shavuot was a major Jewish festival, which meant that every Jewish male was highly encouraged to go to the temple. So Jerusalem would be full of people from all over the place, just like the last major Jewish holiday, Passover. And we all know what happened then. So here's one flow of information for the disciples. Jerusalem is packed with with thousands of pilgrims. Jerusalem is also full of Roman soldiers who are here and they're on high alert. And we know what happened at Passover. So what do we do? It's one flow of information. Here's another flow of information. Jesus' last words were, stay here, stay in place, wait. Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A second flow of information. What do we do? How do we respond? It's kind of like responding to COVID, isn't it? You get all of these multiple flows of information. You're not really sure what to do. What do we do? It's kind of like the situation that we're having with all of the racial unrest and the protests. What do we do? What is the correct response? Now, we've waited 50 days since Easter, waiting for Jesus to tell us what to do, tell us what to say, to give us some direction as to how we should act, about how we should make our next move. When you're used to following orders... It's very difficult to give orders because of this information thing. Humans are built to follow orders. Any large-scale military action is more dependent upon the order and discipline of the troops than on technology or troop numbers. We are built to follow orders. And the disciples were good soldiers. They knew what to do when Jesus was telling them what to do. But left to their own, having to receive and assess varying flows of information, that made them freeze. Then came Pentecost morning. The disciples huddled huddled together in that upper room, frozen, And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the entire house in which they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. This was the promise that Jesus had given to them. This was the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had foretold. This was the moment that the disciples had been waiting for. This was the gift that was going to allow each of the disciples to turn away from self-preservation and turn back toward Jesus. This was the moment when the disciples could turn away from self-protection and turn back toward Jesus. This was the promise. Turn away from your fears and failures. Turn away from your weaknesses and worries. Turn away from your uncertainties and your insecurities and turn toward Jesus. The influx of the Holy Spirit turned the disciples back to Jesus, back to the way, the truth, and the life, back to the light of the world, back to the bread of life, back to the good shepherd, back to the resurrection and the life, back to Jesus. And as that mighty wind blew through the upper room, and as tongues of fire lit on each disciple's brow, the result was the input of new information, which turned the disciples back to Jesus and expelled them from the room. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They turned back to Jesus, and then they were sent out. They were cast into the streets that were jammed with Shabaut celebrations. Jewish people from every known corner of the world, from north and south and east and west, all gathered together. Peter addressed the crowd with his 11, his 11 interpreters, a veritable uh, united nations of listeners. And what did Peter preach? What did he say? I abbreviate what's in the Bible. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you, as you yourselves know. This man handed over to you, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law but God raised him up. Filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with new information, Peter makes a decision that if God can act in Jesus by raising him from the dead, then why can't God act through Christ and raise Peter as well? Why can't God, who made this paradigm shift in Jesus Christ, make this same shift in you and me alike? Death is not the end. Suffering is not the end. The tribulations of today, the threats of tomorrow, the aches and pains of the present are not the end. If God raised Christ from the dead, if God has changed the paradigm, then why can't God do the same for you and me? Death is not the end. God is the end. Peter takes in new information, considers the information, and makes a decision And what is the decision? Peter, he argues to the crowd in Acts 2, you know what you did. You know that you turned your backs on God. You know that you chose the human will to power over divine will. And the result is you crucified Christ. By our sins, we crucify Christ. We let him down. We don't live up to his example. We put ourselves first. We crucify Christ. The crowd's answered, "What should we do?" And Peter responds, "Repent, turn. Turn from your old ways and turn toward You got it, Jesus. Turn back to Jesus because he will never leave you abandoned. Turn back to Jesus because he is the way, the truth and the life. Turn back to Jesus and follow his example, follow his lead, look to the teacher, and figure out what the teacher wants. It's all about looking, listening, and leaning forward, looking at Jesus, and seeing what Jesus did and what Jesus does, listening to Jesus, reading his words in scripture to hear what he has to tell you, and leaning forward, internalizing the words and the ways of Jesus so that we can become more like Jesus. Sometimes too much information is just like that, TMF. There's an old camp, camp song that says it very well. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's fun singing in an empty sanctuary. <laughs> David Hughes was a starting offensive lineman for the Seattle Superha- Super Seahawks in the 1980s. Wrong team there. Hughes was asked to speak at a men's Bible study, and uh, his first words to the, the men's Bible study were these, I'm more scared talking to you today than I was ever preparing for a football game. Then Hughes very quietly told his story. His father was a policeman who was killed in the line of duty when Hughes was 11 years old. As a youth, Hughes thought that he had to be strong. He thought that he couldn't cry. And throughout his father's funeral service, where there was a huge police escort, 11-year-old Hughes remained stoic. 14 years later, when Hughes was a huge offensive lineman playing for the Seattle Seahawks, a Seattle police officer was killed in the line of duty. And there was a large funeral with a huge police escort. And Hughes happened to be driving to football practice, and uh, he he got caught in the cortege. And he pulled over to the side of the road and he stopped and he saw all of the police cars going in front of him. And this 14 years after his father's death, he sat at his steering wheel and cried. He finally released all of the emotion that had been built up over 14 years. And while he sat in that car and he cried, he prayed to Jesus and he asked for Jesus to come back into his heart. Today, Hughes pastors a church in Washington State and he coaches a high school, a high school football team. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Because with Jesus there is power. When we have information that comes in from various places, We try to assimilate all that information in order to make a decision. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. And then let Jesus speak through you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we pause for a moment, and we give you our hearts. We look to you. In this world Lord this world that seems to be so out of control Lord help us to see you first help us to look at the world through the lens that you provide for us and Lord let us respond through that lens for we know Lord that you desire peace we know that you desire healing We know that you desire for us to be your witnesses in this world. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.